Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. Today, SI's Brian Strauss joins me to talk about Atlanta's MLS record $15 million purchase of Argentine teenager Ezequiel Barco, the transfer swap of Alexis Sanchez and Henrik Mkhitaryan, the defiance tour of Bruce Arena and Sunil Gulati, whether North America's World Cup 26 bid is in doubt, and the parade of U.S. soccer presidential candidates in Philadelphia over the weekend. Onward! Let's dive in now. Brian Strauss joining me from Washington, D.C. I am in New York. Brian, welcome. Hey, man. Good to have you on. Lots to talk about. So let's just dive right in here. I want to talk about what to me was the biggest news of the week in MLS and maybe the biggest news in a long time. Ezekiel Barco signs with Atlanta United. Biggest transfer fee in MLS history for this teenager, $15 million. Arthur Blank, not afraid to spend money. And I want to ask you, you you and I probably haven't seen Ezekiel Barco play too often. We might have seen some of the YouTube videos playing for Independiente in Argentina, attacking midfielder. Um, What do you know about this guy? and, And is this as big a deal to you as it is to me? Uh, I don't know if it's as big a deal to me as it is to you because you love Argentina <laughs> a lot. And I like Argentina, and I'm I, I'm lucky enough to have been. I even went to an Independiente game nice. uh, when I was down there. So I have an Independiente scarf and have that experience. But you love – like like you're super, super, super psyched about this, and I'm just psyched about it. <laughs> That's my read on your, your level – of of uh of passion for this topic and why we are starting our our pod discussing it um yeah it's a big deal and 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 if any club was going to do it it was going to be atlanta united if any owner was going to do it it it, it was going to be arthur blank this is a guy who has come into the league and and is not operating under any of the sort of the the conservative strictures of 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 some of the league's founders or some of his predecessors um, and it's it's refreshing and cool only because it makes you it, it makes you think and hope that uh, this will start a trend that this will start um, a, a, a dynamic and a culture within the, the boardroom where other owners and other teams realize they can do more and should do more. Um, and he's going to raise the level um, and and whether whether or not Barco is 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 fantastic and takes over the league or whether he's a good complimentary player or whether he's a bust. I mean, we have no idea, but the fact that he's willing to do this and has the ambition and initiative to do this, hopefully is going to be something that sort of pulls, you know, pulls the rest of the owners or some of the owners in the league along with him and over time raises the level of play. So just like signing David Beckham in, in 2007, this is a, a watershed moment. If, other teams and other clubs and the culture of the league follow along. And, th- and that's what you hope. Well, and you look at Atlanta United, and obviously last year, for their first year, they took this approach, signing Miguel Almiron, signing Joseph Martinez, signing Villalba, spending money, lots of it, on young South American players. And they turned out pretty well. And uh, I realized that the way this works is likely... 
maybe all these guys will get sold to European teams for more than Atlanta paid for them. But that's kind of how it's supposed to work. You know, someday MLS may be able to keep all these guys long term, but it's not a bad thing to be a two or three year way station for up and coming South American superstars. And that's okay. I mean, like, I think there's this stigma with some people in MLS about, oh, we don't want to be a selling league. If this is what you can get, I'm okay with being a selling league. And you look around at LAFC signing Diego Rossi from Peñarol in Uruguay. He's 18. That's a very intriguing signing to me. You look at Jesus Medina joining NYCFC, other guys around the league, uh, the New York Red Bulls about to sign another South American, Kaku. And I feel like we're starting not just to see it in a couple of places, but this is a legitimate trend. And I almost wonder, my theory is that Steven Gerrard signing with LA was the end of an era in the league of like, we don't really want to continue doing this in big numbers again with aging stars. And does Laton count? What about Zlatan? I see, I don't I don't necessarily want him in the league at this point. He's a little bit of an exception just because he has that giant personality. Yeah, I was just curious. But there's but yeah, a- I, I, I agree I would I agree with you, but I think there may be like there's the the Beckham rule, there may be something called these Laton exception. Yeah. And you know I, I, But otherwise you're right. You know, this, I, I do think there is thing, an exception. Your your point, I agree with you on your point about the selling league, and 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 not only are I mean, there's only actually a few. Uh, you know, the food chain ends with maybe half a dozen clubs around the world, right? And everybody else is is somewhere along the chain, moving players along and developing players and that sort of thing. Um, the issue for me, in terms of the extent to which MLS is a quote selling league is about the extent to which the league participates in the global transfer market and the extent to which clubs can benefit from participating in the transfer market. Um, There are all kinds of rules in place that limit the amount and restrict the amount of a transfer fee Mm -hmm. that teams can put back into salaries. So Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of benefit for an MLS club to, to sell a player, to, to, to invest in a player and then sell them for millions more. Not that that's the easiest thing in the world to do, but if they are able to pull it off, they then can't take that profit and inject it all back into their salary, in, into their, into their, their roster. Um, and so, you know, yeah, they can take that money and, and put it into club infrastructure. They can put it into, you know, their stadium or a training center or, mm. or front office or that sort of thing. But until you can take all of that money, all of that profit and put it back into your roster, the incentive isn't there. And so this is one of the ways when uh, that that MLS eventually needs to sort of open up and be more like the rest of the world in all of these ways in terms of allowing um allowing players within the system and other players in the country, NASL, USL players to really find out their market value um, in terms of things like solidarity payments, which was a topic discussed uh, this weekend at, at the convention in Philadelphia. And then in terms of putting, being able, like I said, being able to put um, transfer payments back into the roster and really upgrade uh, the product on the field until all of that stuff happens, we're not going to really see the fruits of this kind of investment um, from Arthur Blank and Atlanta United. But in the meantime, yeah, it's fun. It's cool. Um, Atlanta's fun to watch. Um, and as I've said on this show before, it would be cool if they wanted to be covered. You know, that'd be neat. I would like to do a, a story on Atlanta, but uh, 
you know, getting them to talk about anything is impossible. It's a shame. Well, here's what I would say. A couple of things. One, Tata Martino coming into the league has been good in a few ways. One, in the sense of this guy is just a good coach with a great background. Uh, but also, I sort of underestimated his ability to pull young, promising players from South America. He's a recruiter. Yep. And I totally underestimated that, and it's fantastic. And it makes me hope that other teams in this league sign coaches. It doesn't need to be all of them. I like diversity, but sign more coaches from outside MLS if they're willing to buy in like Tata did. And you know, not like a, a rude hulet way to approach it of, you know, just pay me my money. Um, and and bring guys from places that we haven't seen as many guys in the league from before. And uh, to me, that's really exciting. It almost makes me want, want I, you know, I don't want a team to win the league necessarily because I'm a journalist, but I would like to see Atlanta do well because I think it would cause other teams in MLS to increase their ambitions. And in my ambition rankings this year, I'm trying to figure out if there's any way to put Atlanta higher than one. I think we're also, I, th- I like your point about, about Tata, and I think we're also at a place maybe in MLS's evolution where we're past the um, you know, foreign coaches without MLS experience can't succeed here. Right. You know, we've seen Patrick Vieira do pretty well. Tata's done pretty well. And now we see other other clubs, you know, the earthquakes come to mind, you know, going out and hiring foreign coaches because there's now a, you know, there's now enough in, investment in club infrastructure where the, the, the first team manager doesn't necessarily have to have the connections and the experience and the and the, the TAM expertise and things of that nature. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing less and less come out of the draft out of college soccer, things mm-hmm. like that. You don't need to be, um, you don't need to be able to paint the entire landscape from memory, uh, in order to coach, uh, you know, an MLS team on a Saturday afternoon. You know, I don't think, you know, Tata couldn't care less about any of that stuff. Um, you know, and yet he, he put together a, an expansion team or helped put to help coach an expansion team that made the playoffs. So, um, that's another nice piece of evolution in the league and, and where we're going to see more diversity and different identities among clubs, because, you know, they're all not, you know, they're now not all going to be coached by, you know, uh, uh, you know, 38-year-old former players, right? I mean, we, we, have, we have some diversity here. So um, all of it's good, uh, and, uh, you know, it'll be fun to watch watch Barco play here, and it'll be – I look forward to never interviewing him. <laughs> Moving on, I want to talk a little bit about the January transfer window. Uh, looking like Arsenal and Man United are going to do a deal here, a straight swap, an American-style trade of Alexis Sanchez, Sanchez and Henrik Mikatarian, What are your thoughts on this and on the January transfer window in general? That makes sense in the, in the January, right before a world cup, um, you know, guys are looking for, for, you know, don't, don't want to rock the boat too much six months before the tournament. Um, you know, after a world cup, there's usually a lot of movement. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't have any anecdotal evidence for this whatsoever, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if in past pre-World Cup January windows, things were kind of quiet. Um, I, I like Alexis Sanchez. I, I like, uh, I like voracious strikers. Uh, he's just an animal. Um, I enjoy watching him play. Um, his, his scoring rate is impressive. I mean, the guy, the guy scores a goal about one every two games. Um, but, uh, you know, this is a situation at Arsenal where they're constantly tinkering and constantly trying to find the right formula. And, 
And, uh, you know, if Sanchez doesn't want to be there and if they and if and maybe they look at it as a potential addition by subtraction um, that uh, they can get someone maybe who fits in with a with a, a, a passing possession oriented team a bit better. I mean, who knows? Um, Mkhitaryan is just not someone, to be honest, that I'm I have trouble. I, I don't feel like I'm an expert on that guy, even close. Uh, not that I'm an expert on the rest of them, but he, he's just not someone who I, I've seen a ton of or has struck me much. Um, over the past, uh, over the past couple of years. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Mourinho thinks Sanchez is a guy who's going to, you know, I mean, they've got goal scorers, right? I mean, they've got Lukaku, Lukaku and, and Martial. Um, but, uh, you know, one more threat is good. Um, they're, they're a more balanced team than Arsenal is right now. Um, so those are my thoughts incoherent as they are, uh, you know, um, uh, what uh, what Arsenal's long term plan is is really fascinating. I guess that's another thing. Is um you know what what this team's supposed to look like down the road? Um, maybe they could use a bit more steel, a bit more defense. Um, not sure that Mkhitaryan's the guy for that. So those are my uh, that's my incoherence on the topic. I mean, what I would say here about Alexis Sanchez is like you, I love watching him play. Clearly, not the favorite teammate on that Arsenal team. I'm a little surprised that Man United did so much to try and get Sanchez after there was so much talk about Man City in him instead. If I'm Man United, obviously I've got a lot of money, but I think there's more to fix in the back than up top. So I'm not sure Sanchez is a great fit with that uh, that group. Uh, and I would say the same actually about Mkhitaryan fitting in with Arsenal. Now, part of the background here is that Arsenal recently hired Sven Mislintat, who is this kind of genius chief scout uh, who's been at Borussia Dortmund in recent years. He's actually in my book a lot that's coming out soon. My chapter on Michael Zork, the director of football at Borussia Dortmund, includes a lot of references to him working with Sven Mislintat and how they've identified talent so much better than just about every other club in Europe in recent years. And clearly Mkhitaryan, who did do very well at Dortmund, by the way, is looks like he's going to get connected with Miss Lintot, a guy he has a relationship with who wants him at Arsenal. And there was talk, obviously, of uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang uh, being a guy that Arsenal might go after, another Dortmund guy. So I'm curious to see, you know, how much Dortmund influence we end up seeing at Arsenal uh, with Miss Lintot there. They've actually tried to hire Michael Zork uh, as well. But, I, you know, I, I see Lacazette, I see Giroud, at Arsenal, and I do kind of wonder how Mkhitaryan fits into that. Um, but uh, and with Ozil as well, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, that's what I mean when I was you're, you're in a much more coherent and eloquent way. You're, you're sort of addressing a similar point, which is kind of what's this club's long-term plan? And 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 you know, Arsene Wenger seems to have an unending appetite for sort of you know uh, skillful, you know skillful attackers with a bit of range who play pretty soccer. Um, and that, and we love, that's the best part of the game. Um, but, uh, where, where there's some overlap or redundancy, um, I, you know, I wonder if there's someone else at the club, uh, or will be who, who can address some of those issues. I don't think it's possible for Arsenal to have a long-term plan as long as Wenger's still there, to be honest. And that's probably kind of harsh sounding to Wenger fans, but I, I really do think that's the case. And I think Miss Lintot joining Arsenal is a part of the future of that club and any long-term strategies I think are going to be coming from that part as well. Why can't they loan some of these uh, 
why can't they loan some of that redundancy to the Rapids? <laughs> Stan Kroenke may not know that he owns the Colorado Rapids. I know. At this point. Like, when is this? Like, where's the synergy? Like, the, I mean, I just—it's been years now. Like, when is this going to happen? You know, that we start to see some. Uh, I mean, Arsenal's just got got Arsenal's got you know, Arsenal's got got. 10 goal, 10 assist guys to spare, you know, like why aren't they, uh, why aren't they farming them out to commerce city? Like it's, I, I'm sure there are reasons, but none of them are going to satisfy me at this point. My favorite personal moment in the history of the Colorado Rapids Arsenal link, uh, was when Tottenham, the Arsenal arch rival came out to play in the MLS all-star game at the stadium in Colorado. You would think that Stan Kroenke might've at least gotten Arsenal to come out and play in that game. Colorado's trying to Colorado is trying to revamp things. Um, you know they they've got a new coach. They've got you know um, uh, Porg's now the uh, the the technical director. They've made promises. You know more power to them. But uh, yeah, I, you do wonder you do wonder if if Kroenke remembers that he's got an MLS. <laughs> also, here want to talk about Philadelphia. We were both in Philadelphia at the National United Soccer Coaches Convention. Tracks at Woodstock, as you called it last week. Uh, you were there for three days. I was just there for one. Uh, but you had more than 6,000 coaches from around the country there. And there's. I think they said overall attendance was like over 12,000. Oh, really? That's yeah. fantastic. And, well, everybody, I mean, it's everybody. It's, I mean, there's obviously coaches, but then all kinds of other types too. But it, it's, it's, it's an immense number of people and it's dizzying. And there was a home and garden show. This convention center is so big. <laughs> There was also a home and garden show there, which I accidentally tried to – I went into the wrong exhibit hall at one point and it was surrounded by um, you know, things to put plants in. Um, and so we were having fun trying to like – you see someone outside the convention center. Which show are they here for? <laughs> can, we, can, we tell, can we tell whether or not the person – and obviously the tracksuits um, were – but it was just a fun, stupid way to make fun of people. So I'm a jerk. <laughs> So a couple of things I want to talk about specifically here. Bruce Arena and Sunil Gulati both spoke at this convention. They both had sessions in which they were interviewed by people. And I almost felt like they were on something of a defiance tour, as I called it, in trying to respond to what happened with the U.S. failing to qualify for the World Cup, especially in Arena's case, but also in Gulati's case. And Gulati talking about how he felt about this U.S. soccer presidential election that will replace him with one of eight different candidates. Was that the sense that you got? You wrote a couple stories for SI.com on Arena and Gulati. Was this a defiance tour? Uh, I wouldn't use the word defiance. I don't have a problem with you using it. <laughs> what do you it call it then? My choice. And I have called them both defiant in the past, and they have been defiant. Um, I think uh, maybe Sunil was a little more de- – Bruce, Bruce was um, – it was certainly the most enlightening and, and, and candid that Bruce has been since the Trinidad game. Um, you know, he's had a little time to digest things a little bit. I credit him for, 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 coming, to the, uh, for coming to the convention. Uh, his moderator was Hank Steinbrecher. Uh, you know, longtime U.S. soccer executive, former U.S. soccer president, and and Steinbrecher was was very laudatory, and and I mean, it, it let, let you know this. It wasn't a journalist interviewing Arena, but at the same time, Arena took some of Steinbrecher's questions or prompts and some audience questions and and ran with it. 
um, and and did offer uh, some insight into what happened. And there's a difference between an excuse and a reason, right? Uh, um, uh, you know, th- there are things that happen all the time um, that that may explain. Uh, you know, I, I, I make a mistake in a story and there may be a, there may be a, a reason for that mistake, but that doesn't excuse the mistake. Right. Uh, and, and, and I really didn't get the sense, um, that arena, um, arena was trying to offer reasons and not excuses. And I don't agree with all of them. Um, right. but it, he did make an effort to do it. Um, he did talk about the sort of the broken culture of the team, uh, that, that existed when, when he took over. And we all know these stories like, I mean, this is old news at this point, um, that that this was a, a team that had no sense of itself, that had no tactical or, or sort of um, cultural foundation that uh, that that, you know, Klinsman had just sort of, you know, it was scorched earth yeah. uh, for five years under this guy. And there was a lot for Arena to put together. And Arena even said he didn't name the player, but said, you know, that one player said to him, um, you know, this was not a culture you were going to fix uh, in, in 10 months. Um at the same time, all he needed was a tie in Trinidad. I mean, the tragedy of the hex, the tragedy of last year is that he papered over those those fault lines and those problems enough to get to the team to the point where all they needed was a tie in Trinidad. They just needed to fake it till they made it one more time. And it was right there for the taking. And their failure to do so is on Arena, in my opinion. And the stuff where he talked about, you know, he blamed um he blamed U.S. Soccer's social media team <laughs> firing up Trinidad with tweets of the puddles at the field um, and, you know, guys carrying each other <laughs> puddles. And he said that these tweets, you know, fired up Trinidad uh, to play harder. That's just bullshit. I mean, it's <laughs> nonsense. Um, you know, you played without a second midfielder, Bruce. That, that wasn't that wasn't social media team's fault. Um, so it was really interesting. And so there was some denial, some defiance. Um, you know, he did several times say, look, this is on me. This is my fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was compelling. It was my, my favorite part. I know I'm rambling again, but this was my favorite part of the tour of the, of the, of the convention. Um, and yeah. And then Sunil talking about wanting to de- debate all eight. He has so little respect <laughs> for the eight candidates in the race that he said that he asked the U.S. He asked the convention organizers if he could debate all eight simultaneously. Debate, <laughs> which would have been the greatest thing of all time, and which, whether or not you like Sunil or whether or not you think he made mistakes, and I obviously think you know his his control of the technical side of U.S. soccer uh, was was poorly done, and is the reason he should not run again. Um, but he would have won that debate pretty easily because the eight candidates, let me tell you, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, not, not a ton of inspiring substance coming from that side of the room. So that would have been amazing. And I'll shut up now. Well, that kind of reminds me the idea of uh, Sunil Gulati debating all eight candidates of like when the world chess champion plays 50, 10 year old kids at the same time. The room. Yeah. Or one of the, or now they do these videos where they like, you know, (laughs) Three pro soccer players against a hundred kids. Right. Like I totally. <laughs> you know what though? I was really sharp. Whether or not you think he's good at hiring coaches, he's a sharp dude. You know what? I really wish there had been a debate uh, in real debate form 
with the eight candidates in Philadelphia, as was previously planned until about a week before the convention, we learned that no, it was just going to be a candidate forum where the candidates would come out one by one and answer questions from the legend, J.P. Della Camera, on stage. And that's what they ended up doing on Saturday. And it was a full house. I actually had to wait outside to enter because the fire inspectors had said, you cannot let any more people in. You have to wait until someone comes out before anyone else can go in. I, I saw Charlie Bohm tweeting about that. And and, and I, w- I had been inside and I saw Charlie Bohm tweeting about that. I, don't, I think this is probably detail nobody wants. But anyway, there were about 100 empty seats huh. on, on the far side of the room. And I, and I took a picture of them real quick and tweeted and, and texted it to Charlie Bohm and said, show them this. Because there were, because I counted. I mean, there were literally a hundred empty seats. So I don't know what was going on there, um, but it was it it was over two and a half hours long. It was. I had a migraine, by the way, during the entire convention, um, and I was dehydrated and and sick and could barely stand up straight and made a fool of myself multiple times as a result of this condition. And I also lost my hat, which I'm very upset about. Um, but for this thing to come at the end of it all, for this two and a half hour gauntlet of listening to, plus this, by the way, this is important to note, this forum uh, or whatever, or this non-debate, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> was being put on by U.S. Youth Soccer, right. which is the, you know, the largest youth soccer organization in the country, the one we all played in growing up before there were 38 competitors. Um, but uh, most of the questions were for the audience, were for the people there. Mm-hmm. U.S. youth soccer. So talking about, you know, the development academy and youth soccer politics and development and and finances and things of that nature. And that isn't necessarily, for example, the stuff like a a Sports Illustrated readership wants to read about or whatever. It was a unique experience and I can't wait till this thing's over. I am sort of looking forward to the election being over. I will be down in Orlando uh, covering it uh, on February 10th for Sports Illustrated and Fox Sports, which it sounds like uh, they're going to devote a fair amount of time to it on FS1 that day. But a couple other things I wanted to ask you about. Uh, One, uh, Sunil Gulati did talk about World Cup 2026 and the North American bid. We're going to find out in June, right before the World Cup starts, if the combined U.S., Mexico, North Canada bid gets to host World Cup 2026. Um, is there a sense right now that getting World Cup 26 might be in more doubt than we thought before? Um, it's something that behind the scenes, a couple people attached to the bid have. It's weird because, like, when they say that they are, they are operating every day as if this thing is in doubt as if this i mean that could that 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 may be just an approach a philosophy to take um to make sure that all the bases are covered um you know sunil was asked about he was responding to a question about sort of the current political situation and and you know um the trump administration has not won a ton of friends overseas um, and the perception of the U.S. among potential voters may not be great right now. So the question was whether or not that perception could uh, could influence a vote. And Sunil has always been very clear from the start, saying he's, he said many times, this is an election. We can put forward the best the best bid possible with all the, you know, the T's crossed and the best stadiums and infrastructure and revenue possibility and, and all that kind of stuff. 
and people still vote for really strange or or unpredictable reasons. And so they learned that lesson um, in 2010 when they lost to Qatar. So um, I think they're treating it as if this thing's in doubt because they realize that this is not necessarily a meritocracy and they could lose a vote for any reason in their control or beyond their control. At the same time, how could it possibly be in doubt? <laughs> like, like that's the thing. I mean, you know, we there. You know, the New York Times had an article about the Moroccos, but I tried to reach out. The I had a soccer contact in Morocco actually, and I I reached out a couple times. Um, they're 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 with a they're with a, a club, um, but uh, you know, I was thinking that's a place to start. You know, with with, with a you know, you 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 talk to someone at a club and they put you in touch with someone at the federation and. You know, you knock a couple dominoes down and there you are. And it just went nowhere. Um, and apparently they're just, they're, they just haven't done a ton. Um, yeah, there's very little there there in the Morocco bid. And basically right now they're running on not being North America, it seems like. Right, right. They're not, they're not us. Right. And, and, and they, they have only a handful of stadiums uh, they would need to build a lot. Um, they, they don't have I've, – I've taken buses and trains in Morocco. It's not the most modern infrastructure. It's a beautiful country. It'd be a fun place to go do a World Cup, but if, if you're FIFA and you your your revenue's falling because people are backing out of sponsorship deals and people don't necessarily want to be associated with you, I, I, as we know, this North American World Cup would be a whole herd of cash cows, um, and and it's just astonishing that uh, to, to 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 think that uh, Morocco is a viable uh, alternative um, technically, but you know. Qatar is also hosting a World Cup, so the technique doesn't always matter. Eric Winalda, during during his fire and brimstone, and it really was. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, he, he was there was some dark shit in his speech at the, at the convention. But one of the things that he was he was arguing that 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 we are uh, we are the World Cup bid is in danger because U.S. soccer is not compliant with. <laughs> FIFA statutes 13 he gave this number and we're like okay we know there's the promotion relegation the thing that says that principally there's a word principally or something like that that leagues should be based on sporting merit and obviously FIFA doesn't if FIFA cared whether MLS had pro rel they I mean, maybe we would have heard by now um Sunil was talking about how uh Sepp Blatter said that all the MLS teams need to have dome stadiums so they can play in the winter and Feels just like you're crazy, man. Um, but uh, but anyway, apparently there are 13 FIFA statutes that we are not compliant with. I don't know what they are, but this is another problem with the World Cup bid. And um, according to Eric, so yeah, I mean, what I would say is that anytime you see someone reference the so-called FIFA rules that require promotion and relegation, if you read all of them, that's actually not the case. You know, if there's a business case for promotion and relegation, make it. Um, but, right. uh, you know, using FIFA as the arbiter of all that is all that is good in the world. But I would like to know what the other 12 are, even <laughs> if, even if the even if there is a, a, a FIFA statute that that demands and necessitates promotion relegation and, and U.S. soccer is not in compliance with it. What what are the other 12? True. I, it's this a good, is a, it's a good question. We we didn't hear the other day. I mean, what I would say is that yes, if you're going to compel promotion and relegation to take place in the U.S., make a good business proposition. Don't try and and 
pull this trick of saying, oh, FIFA has this rule, because if you read the statutes, they don't. There were some, there were some other interesting, I have to cough, excuse me. There were a lot, there's a lot of, 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 you know, slogans and weirdness and, and, and awkwardness from the candidates. There was some sweating because there were these lights. <clears throat> excuse me. Now I'm, I'm, uh, I'm struggling now. Uh, <laughs> But, but it, you know, and, and there were some candidates who were up there for their 15 to 20 minutes. And, and I, I thought to myself, maybe I'll do maybe I'll write something on like the main point they each made, you know, sort of like here are the eight candidates. And during their forum, here was the one thing that they said that was either different or unique or compelling. And I about halfway through, I gave up because yeah. they, they weren't all it wasn't going to happen. But there were a couple things that jumped out. Um, obviously, like I said, when, when all the claiming that the, the 2026 bid was in jeopardy because of our non-compliance, um, he made a good point though, too, which was, um, talking about, uh, I agree with him that I, and I mentioned this earlier that our lack of participation in an open player market is a hindrance. Yeah. And all this point about opening up the league would be that we would stop, uh, our development would, 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 uh, our focus on development would include more markets than just. Uh, the 18 or whatever U.S. markets that are in MLS. And, that, and that's yeah. a point worth considering. And I think uh, that could be solved with things like solidarity payments and an open transfer market and things of that nature. Um, but, uh, you know, some of the stuff, a, a lot of the other stuff about sort of trying to, to, to mend the fractured youth landscape. Dude, there are so many youth soccer organizations. It is so hard to keep track of. If I was a parent or a player, I would be so bewildered. You know, we had... USYS travel leagues and ODP when we were kids and 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 that was it and that system produced the 2002 World Cup team right mm -hmm. the quarterfinals that system produced uh you know two women's World Cup champions so it, it it wasn't entirely it wasn't great but it wasn't entirely a hindrance and so now trying to keep track of all these things and a lot of the candidates had ideas Paul Caligiuri for example suggested that all high school coaches should be ODP scouts should be should be licensed ODP scouts because obviously high school soccer uh, gives you access to players you wouldn't otherwise have in an academy system. Um, I like the idea. Uh, um, uh, Steve Gans also talked about this: the idea that the prohibition on playing high school soccer um, robs players of of certain benefits, certain pressure, certain scrutiny, certain on field um, responsibilities you might have as an elite player. Uh, that 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 kids are not getting in what he called the, the sterile development mm -hmm. environment. So there were there were definitely some points I thought uh, that were interesting. Um, in addition to all the nonsense, Carlos Cordero wants to start a fund. Um, Carlos Cordero said that uh, you know every, there's all this talk about the 150 million dollar surplus. Well, about 60 million of that came from Copa America Centenario, mm -hmm. uh, kind of a one time thing. And Cordero said that just operating the programs as they exist now would take a hundred million dollars off that surplus eventually. So he was talking about, um, you know, starting a fund for each state that would sort of generate the revenue needed and, and how, you know, England and Germany, we have 150 million, England and Germany are spending 500 million and just the differences in, in, in financial wherewithal and heft are so much different. So, so each of these people has an area where they know something and where they might be able to help. Um, uh, but certainly none of them jumped out as the person who, who has enough experience and 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 uh, you know enough enough um, enough good ideas to kind of run everything? And I think that's been Sunil's point. 
Um, and Sunil obviously failed on the technical side. So maybe the, maybe the perfect candidate doesn't exist. Well, I agree with that part of it. You know, I've done interviews on this podcast. I'm trying to interview all eight candidates. I've done five now. I have not yet done Cordero, Solo, or Caligiuri. Certainly hope to do those. I've got requests in before the election. Um, and I'm not quite as harsh on all the candidates as you are because I, I think if you listen to those 30 to 40 minute podcasts, I think every single one has some good ideas. Um, they obviously have their strengths. They have their weaknesses. I find it interesting that you have a, a pairing almost of candidates. You have Carter and Cordero are sort of the, the business candidates. You've got the two lawyers, Winograd and Gans. You've got the two former players who I think have a shot at winning, Martino and Winalda. And then I think you have two former players who don't have a shot at winning in Solo and Caligiuri. And... I find that part interesting. I think it's crazy that we actually came up with eight candidates in the end because I don't know if that'll ever happen again. But I will say this. If you're really interested in getting a recap of all the details from this candidate forum from Saturday, Bo Dewar has the most complete sort of archive of what was said on his Twitter feed. He's at Dewar Sport, D-U-R-E Sport. And he had a heck of a lot more patience than any of us did to uh, to put all that stuff out on Twitter. Uh, I was there for a little while. I didn't stay the whole time because I've interviewed most of these folks before, and they weren't really saying much new. Uh, it didn't surprise me that the two TV folks, Winalda and Martino, probably came off as the most polished. I do think Winograd is a guy, and I interviewed him last week for this podcast, who maybe of all the candidates has gotten notice and maybe increased the interest in himself during this campaign based on how he's presented himself at the different candidate forums. And obviously this one on Saturday was the most highly attended one yet. Uh, do I think that will be enough for Winograd to make himself a contender? Not totally sure about that. Um, he, proposed a, uh, he proposed something that I think is along the lines of the German model with the, you know, the, the state technical centers. Yeah. Um, which I thought was interesting, um, you know, start to start to accept that 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 player development is not something that can be sort of uh, legislated from the top down. And a lot of them were making that point. But Winograd was talking about investing in these state centers. You know, it's an office. It's a field complex. It's a it's a well-paid state sort of technical director. That's that's sort of, um, you know, connects the state apparatus. Not everything works in one state, works in another. So, you know, this technical director sort of connects the state apparatus to the federation. Um, that was interesting. We've talked also about his idea in the past about having that, the 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 sort of promotion spot or two available in MLS, yeah. um, which I, again, I mean, whether in it it's, it's feasible, I have no idea, but it's a neat idea. Um, yeah, they, they, all, they all have, um, well, most, um, <laughs> have have unique ideas. Um, you know, it's going to come down to whether or not the winner, um, is able and willing, uh, to, to, uh, knows what they don't know. Let's put it that way. Um, and, and if Sunil Gulati had, a, had a weakness in the end, it was that maybe he didn't know what he didn't know. Um, and, and certainly that was manifested itself in the, in the hiring and the extension, um, to, to Jurgen and the investment in Jurgen, um, that turned out to be, um, well, we all know what that turned out to be. So, um, you know, so if, if, if Eric Winalda wins, if Kyle Martino wins, um, and they are, they are willing to seek the advice and consent of the board and to hire 
the people who are experts in the things they're not, um, you know, that especially on the, uh, and, and even though, even though Martino and Ronaldo were accomplished players, um, they're, they're not technical directors, right? I mean, they're, they're not the people who you would want to be overseeing the men's and women's technical programs and development and, and coaching hiring and things like that. Um, they're the people who would create the momentum and, and the initiative to, 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 to hire those people. Um, and so as long as they do that, uh, you know, that that's good. And as long as they, uh, listen to and accept feedback and advice from the people that are experts in areas where they're not, i.e., like I, I'd still want Carlos Cordero to run my fund, you know, right. I don't know how Martino doing that. Um, so, uh, so that, that's what it'll come down to in the end. But yeah, certainly a 30 to 40 minute interview, um, with a journalist is going to tell us something that, uh, you know, the U S youth soccer forum slash, um, endless death march. Um, <laughs> seriously, there could have been a water break, man, like water break. One thing I would say before we sign off here is that last week, Martino did release something he calls a progress plan, which is available online. And it's the result of a two day sort of session that took place full days in New York in early December, where uh, Martino invited uh, about 20, 25 people from around the country uh, with different backgrounds in soccer. Some are uh, big name, former players, uh, some are youth coaches, some are other. Do you know anyone who was, do you know, do you know who they were? Is that like a secret? I, it is. And I, I do know who they were because I was in the room for a little while. And I find it interesting that they all requested anonymity, which is because they don't want any sort of blackballing coming if some other candidate wins the election and finds out that they were involved in this. And I think that says a ton about you, the culture in U.S. soccer right there. But, you know, this was kind of like a consulting session that uh, Martino's dad, who worked for 40 years at IBM and is currently a consultant, was up front uh, getting ideas uh, from around the table on different topics. They spent the first day talking about problems in U.S. soccer. They spent the second day talking about potential solutions. And all of that led to this progress plan. And I will give Kyle Martino some credit for really digging into the issues that way in a way that not other candidates have done in a sense yet, you know, certainly other candidates have gone on listening tours like Steve Gans did. Certainly Eric Winald has traveled all over the country, talking to state associations, listening to them. But we, and we've seen some platforms, I guess, on candidates' websites, but nothing quite like what Martino has put out there. We saw last week that Kathy Carter announced that if she wins, she will have a, an independent commission led by Casey Wasserman who's in charge of apologies for my dog's barking, Casey Wasserman. Uh, do not a fan yeah. of WMG's influence in American soccer. Yeah, apparently not. Um, but Casey Wasserman obviously is the head of, uh, you know, one of the biggest agencies in sports uh, was in charge of bringing the Olympics to Los Angeles, not necessarily a soccer guy. And that's drawn some criticism though. The response to that you could say is he'll bring in people who do know soccer uh, if Carter wins for that commission. I think the comparison that Wasserman's people would make is to the Steinbrenner Commission, which looked uh, very closely at the U.S. Olympic Committee after the 1998 Olympics when they said, we're not winning enough medals, how do we win more? And actually, the Steinbrenner Commission is viewed in very positive terms for what it achieved and still has an impact today. 
whether that can be replicated with uh, the Wasserman Commission for uh, U.S. soccer. I guess we'll have to wait and see if Kathy Carter wins. There was a there's something else I want to add, and it's a I don't have a I don't have a good or creative segue off of what you just said, so I apologize for that. But th- th- I I forgot to mention the most interesting thing about the, this whole election stuff that I experienced at the convention, um, which was a moment, a brief moments during both Hope Solo and Eric Winalda's individual forums, which I I was able to attend. Um, for those who haven't been to the convention, there's like 38 things going on simultaneously and, and, and you're going to miss stuff. So, you know, so, you know, someone's forum was going on at the same time as Bruce Arena's thing and you have to make a choice, that kind of thing. But I, I was able to attend Hope's and Eric's uh, forum. Hope, Hope blamed the media, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> Hope, Hope, a lot of the problems in American soccer are our fault. Um, so that was cool. Um, but there was a there was a. Uh, there was the same thing happened in both sessions, which was uh, it was it was the moderator in in Hope Solo's session who otherwise was a he was a youth soccer coach from Montana who would preface every question with with uh, grateful thanks to Hope for being so awesome. And it was really kind of awkward. Um, but I think Eric did it in his own. Um, but they both at one point during conversations about Soccer United marketing, they both at one point turned to the audience and asked people to raise their hands if they knew what Soccer United marketing was. Mm-hmm. Not an opinion, but like, do you even know what this is? And I would say in the combined, there were maybe 400 people, 300 people in Hope Solo's session and, you know, five, 600 in, in, in Winalda's. All right. So let's say we're, we're close to a thousand people combined. Um, in these two sessions. And again, do you, and think about all the time we spend talking about some, you know, interacting or getting, you know, looking at the, at the Twitter bubble about some, all of the consternation, obviously it's a big part of the lawsuit uh, between the NASL and USSF. And I would say of the thousand people, and again, this is not maybe people who knew what some didn't raise their hand, but combined about maybe 10 to 12 people Mm -hmm. raised their, you know, out of a thousand. Mm. So, this is on 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 at the grassroots. I mean, these are coaches and administrators and people involved in youth and college and high school and club soccer around the country. And you know, most people have no idea what this stuff is. It's just not part of their daily experience and interaction with the game. And I just I just found that really really instructive. That when you start to talk about the issues in American soccer or what we need to do to fix American soccer, they're going to be so. This is a massive diverse country. And there are going to be so many different viewpoints and so many different recipes for 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 fixing it and and ideals and the way we should do things and 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 views about what the problems are. Um, and anyway, it just it just kind of blew me away that we spent all this time thinking about some and some of these issues and and ten out of a thousand people even know what it is. Yeah, and keep in mind, I mean, this was a pretty select audience in many ways besides the media people who were there in the sense of these, this is a coaches convention. So a lot of the people there were coaches um, who spent a lot more time uh, out on grass fields coaching than they do maybe uh, reading about the business of soccer in the United States. I, I don't think it's a situation where the media has not covered soccer United marketing. In fact, I think there will be even more coverage in the couple of weeks left before the election itself. Well, my point is I'm wondering if we're over covering it. 
Maybe. I mean, based upon the number of people who even know what it is and have any interest in it, maybe we're doing too much. Like it's it. I don't know what the answer is. It, It just it just was interesting to me. It was just surprising to me, like based upon the interactions I have and you have, like you would have thought that he would have like Eric would have said how many people here know what some is and people would have just started setting fire to the convention center. <laughs> just lighting fires, you know? <laughs> like a horde of Vikings would have stormed in and, you know, started pillaging shit. But, um, but really, people have no idea. I, I, just, I just found it interesting. I'm not drawing any conclusions. I just, I was surprised by how few people uh, seem to have a sense or an interest in, in, in what it was. I do think you and I have been struck, and we've talked about this in the past, about how much covering soccer in America, how much time you spend covering um, things off the field. And I do wonder if it's more than in other sports, um, just because it's a growing business and there's so much talk of the U.S. being a market uh, for the sport. I mean, I sometimes feel like I'm a business writer more than a sports writer. I've had, I've covered, I've been covering a lawsuit. I've been covering stadium plans. I've been covering municipal government structures. You know, to write an expansion story, I've got to learn about how the 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 the, the government works in Miami, the overlapping uh, you know constituencies in Miami versus Nashville versus Indianapolis. I mean, it, and and as we've said on here before, we've kind of joked about it. Like, I get a lot more, we get a lot more traffic on a story about MLS expansion than we do about an existing team. People care more about the teams that don't exist yet than the ones that do. Um, so I agree with you. I I feel often like like I I I wish I Instead of getting my 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 D license, I wish I'd gotten a JD and an MBA. I feel like I'm better at my job. Um, exactly where we are right now, and I think you're right. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that you know we're a growing market. It's a growing sport here, and and, and oftentimes people look at the attendance of a game as much as they do the final score. Yep. Um, all right. I think we should sign off. We've been talking for a while here. Enjoyed the conversation, my friend, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Bye, Grant. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the new 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available for free now on SI.com. Recent guests include Christian Pulisic, Taylor Twelman, Andres Cantor, and this week, Don Garber. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? the number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast. Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.